Welcome to Upholding Matters, a podcast devoted to talking about what matters. Now, I was raised to believe that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness were things that mattered. And certainly they are the unalienable rights that Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration of Independence. We will talk about how to uphold them, how they hold us up, and why that matters. Welcome to Upholding Matters. I'm your host, David Paul. Today, the word is locus, and it is the perceived center of something. It can be a thing or an abstract concept, but for me, locus has always been your center, your even the locus of democracy is the people. Uh, Rick Over, some guy like that said that. So it's a place where something is perceived or occurs. And everybody has a different one. So that's why in these times of upheaval, I, I really feel it. I've been around a while and the world has never been quite like this. The office of president has never been occupied by someone so narcissistic and detached from what normal convention has been. I mean, there's really a lack of decency that comes from the top, and it's just its hard to take sleazy. I think we all have to guard against outside and internal forces that would change our center, our locus, uh, away from the question Einstein. He said, there is only one question. Is the universe friendly? And of course, these things, these thought patterns that produce happiness or pain a lot of times seem to be outside of people's control. And then there are the unexplainable things, the how is a person a pathological liar or a con man, and to what degree does that archetype live within each of us? I mean, I think we're all capable of things or considering things, but I'm shocked often because a lot of times things come up that, you know, they're kind of vulgar that I just have never considered. So that's kind of what works for me. I have to constantly change and adjust and adapt my center because new information comes in and you have to change your mind. So to do that, I like to read and I love books. And I picked up a new book. It's called Critical Thinking About Research, Julian Metzloff. And it's about psychology and related fields. And so I've been a student of social psychology. People set up experiments and they test with double blind and, you know, all these terms they use to get the accuracy of a study validated, repeatable, sanctioned, 
So let me just say this is there's a lot of rigor that goes into studies and producing a paper. And not all the stuff is logically sound, valid. You know, there are things that skew the best studies. And so that's what this book is about. It's about looking at what's the funny part that really doesn't bear up to scrutiny. So a good example of that is I was watching a thing by a gentleman, a guy called Arthur Thomason with the Freedom Project. And really it's the John Birch Society. And it's just funny because they're talking about, or this gentleman, you know, he's a good speaker. He's a distinguished looking older gentleman and he speaks very well and makes valid points and until some of the things just don't, well, they don't add up. So, for instance, if you say, and now understand that these people, and I had to explain this to a couple of people recently, but in polite society, they're like far ultra right wing. They're, um, you know, people that believe strongly in freedom and anti-communist beliefs and are fighting that enemy eternally. And when he says something like, a free society, people must be able to own land and control their destiny. Well, who would disagree with that? You can't just take everybody's land and make them a comrade or whatever. That's valid. But when he talks about this nebulous force that wants to take your freedom in the name of socialism and is really a cabal of secret people that control the world's destiny in the banks and the media, and, you know, in all this, there's, there's truth. I mean, there's historical points. But uh, let me back up one second. I enjoyed a movie recently called Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Slayer. And the point was that Lincoln had uh, interactions with vampires early in his life and took up the habit because he chopped wood well. He chopped vampires. And they're crafty suckers, these vampires. I mean, they have powers and, you know, some of them can be out in daylight. and It's not as easy as it looks killing a vampire. So he's trained by a guy who is a vampire, but he's a good one. And Lincoln really wants to get at this vampire that killed his mother, and that's why he's learned to kill these evil creatures. Well, he's not allowed to do that for quite a while, and he's not even, you know, until he's president that he's going to go out and, oh, there's a lot of dynamic interaction between Mary Todd and all these other people. It's It's pretty well done for just a piece of fancy, I, I don't know, it's uh, just a well-done piece. So, of course, in the end, he triumphs, and he gets the guy, and, you know, there's dramatic sequences, and then that's that. Lincoln goes to the theater. So, this John Birch guy, he's talking about the Illuminati and the newspapers and the 
coming over from Germany and France and all, all these connections through history and as if there's some cohesive thread between all these movements and peoples and, you know, Karl Marx and all these other people that gave rise to other people that led into the Civil War. And here we are back to Abraham Lincoln. So it turns out that with these Rosicrucians and, you know, they throw these words around that are mysterious and scary and very poorly defined. But some of this stuff that was the French Revolution and Robespierre and the Reign of Terror and somehow it's all connected because there's a cabal or high tribunal or something. Anyway, three guys basically run the Illuminati. And of course, at one time, Ben Franklin was in there. But here's where it gets dicey because if they're caught or... You know, they go underground for 20 years and come back in different names and different shapes and with still the same goals in mind. And of course, according to this gentleman, their goal in mind is always to create a communist state, I guess, or world order or control over everyone, whatever the heck it really is. But so when they reemerge, in America, a few years later, moving all over to New York, the Communist Party and all, they select a lanky Illinois Plains lawyer, Abraham Lincoln, to be one of the three guys that make all the decisions that rule the world. So you're into the what zone here because what? So there's absolutely no explanation how he's picked or why or any of that. It's just that now he's there and there's no taking into the real true historical life of Lincoln and what he went through and what he did. One of the nice parts of last week was that I, we had a, uh, everyone remembers $1.6 billion uh, Mega Millions drawing. And so I got a couple tickets, and then they just pretended I was a billionaire and I'd already won, and that's pretty standard for everybody that bought a ticket. I mean, it's some really inexpensive hope, I'll tell you that, because I know better fully, but you still kind of think, eh, man, I got a chance. So when you think about it, Abraham Lincoln just being picked out of a straw hat as the next third powerful Illuminati or whatever is it defies those 1.6 billion dollar odds which about 300 million to one or something but you know all I could think of was uh, now you've gone and done it I come from Illinois land of Lincoln and I've been to Springfield and understand Abe the rail splitter and kicked by a mule and in the head and uh, fascinating, fascinating human being, but not the head of the Illuminati. Oh, and in case I didn't make it clear, not a real vampire hunter either.
Today we saw something that we haven't seen before. We saw an attack on two former presidents and a whole bunch of other people, political and not. I mean, some have criticized Donald Trump, but there was a series of pipe bombs sent around in the mail. And for a while, it was very scary. They closed down the building that CNN is in in New York. And there was a lot of disruption and a lot of effort that went into making sure that Joe Biden got two bombs and Maxine Waters and Robert De Niro, George Soros. All these people received these very threatening packages, and I don't think any of them have actually exploded. So, you know, it gets downplayed by the other side. But our president, Donald Trump, hasn't called the Clintons or the Obamas with condolences or just said out loud to the public that we stand united in all of this. I mean, it's almost like he can't stand to have anyone else's name mentioned with him that has any stature. Now, it is possible that I'm being too hard on him, and it's just not within his skill set to anticipate what people might like to hear in the way of a unifying message. Now, certainly the situation is new, and there will be many more facts come out. I mean, we have a great law enforcement effort looking into this, and they'll track down who sent these things and who was involved. So we'll know if it was a false flag operation, like some say, because no one was blown up. I mean... All these points are valid in a way, but you find that whatever political spectrum side you're on, there will be similarity. This is one of these social psychology experiments because you look at the data and you look at how the people are divided in their opinions, and, well, there certainly is a political bend and bias in this. But in it all, no one should be sending pipe bombs or things that look like pipe bombs through the mail. And for the life of me, I can't remember what was more important this week, but I'm sure there were things that felt like it. Presses up against America's being, our locus. It's like it's shifting to something. And that's what I didn't get to finish with the John Birch guy. He wants to claim that This menace is trying to influence people's minds. And I think that, in a way, everybody is trying to influence someone else's mind. I mean, you have an opinion, and you'll say it. Most people are not afraid to state their opinions, especially if they feel like they're in company where they won't be criticized too heavily. I think it's, a lot of times, a matter of presentation. But... Sending pipe bombs or any of these other radical means. I mean, the guy's right. He has a list of things, war and all, you know, they're they're good for revolution and changing and 
but we don't need them. We, we really can't live with them. So to be clear, he's talking about war, terror, economic collapse, and mass immigration. These are the means that he thinks people use to bring about change in society. Oh, they would do that. And I think that's where the difference between Donald Trump called himself a nationalist, as if he doesn't understand the connotation. Um, Einstein said that nationalism is an infantile disease, the measles of mankind. And now I'm not saying that in all senses that's bad or you can't relate to it in some different way, but patriotism is the thing that I find is an idealization. It's a shifting your center, your locus to a place where you believe in your country and each other and you spread unifying messages. And in the modern era, we compete on the global stage and only through competition and mutually assured prospering will we succeed. And I could share a story about a success I had this week that validates for me the truth of trying to seek the high ground. Now, I went to the dentist, and this is always stressful, and my blood pressure was pretty high. They had to take it again, so it was a little lower, but uh, there's been a history. I love this practice and my dentist, but there had been a tooth that fell, you know, a crown that fell off and was glued back on and fell off again. And by that time, they wanted me to sign up for this other program because I had lost my insurance temporarily. And uh, so it goes on and on. But there was a lot of money on the line and they didn't want to help me. And so, it, you know, clouded it a little bit. But now I'm back with really good insurance and I'm ready to get that crown put on, permanently fixed, a new one, my teeth cleaned. And right in the middle of cleaning, some guy's trying to bug the hygienist with a note and she's telling him, just put it on the counter with all the other notes. And it turns out that they had the wrong idea about my insurance. They thought it was some other sort that wasn't good. It wound up being good, but... It was perplexing to me at the time. And it turned out the guy who does the billing came back and talked to me. So, I mean, there's six people in there, the doctor and the, everybody. And he's telling me that this doesn't pay, this insurance. Now, the error was all along that he didn't check it out and figure out what the truth was right then and there. He took somebody else's panicked word that... We're not going to get paid and risk a good customer's trust by just simply not checking it out. But the goodness in all of this is that I kept calm and I called the insurance and you know, they said it was good and they paid and you know they would check into it. And then I called the doctor's office and talked to the manager, office manager, and she looked into it and turns out that my insurance is good as gold and they started being really, really nice to me. And I don't mind that at all. I mean, that's all I ever wanted. 
But you have to remember that these sort of episodes will diminish trust and undermine the experience. So when I was reading a Stephen R. Covey, is is the son of Stephen Covey. It's a book on trust, and it's pretty good because it's at the heart of all relationships and, you know, ones that, that flourish. I mean, you have to ha- have trust the people around you and, you know, let them do their best because they know it's right. And it is hard. I don't blame them for the errors. They made them, they admit them. And for my part, I'm just glad that I didn't get too pushy, bossy, or mouthy over it all and held it until I could check it out and get it right, even though it was a bit of an inconvenience and a not a very pleasant feeling. Now, they say that Donald Trump has frequent eruptions of anger and people don't like to tell him things. And the one thing in the news today that these last couple of days struck me was about his iPhone that he won't give up. They can't make him, they can't talk him into it. And these things are highly uh, hackable. So all these intelligence agencies that are around Washington and every other place, if there's a cell tower, they can get, they can listen to him. They can know what he's thinking on his private conversations with his friends before anybody else can, even our own intelligence. Can you imagine the complication that makes? Foreign intelligence agencies can hack our own president, but we can't just to see what the heck he's saying. I mean, that scary stuff. But the midterms are coming, Democratic control of at least the House, and Robert Mueller's investigation. And these are going to be some times that we're going to have to check ourselves really well. Uh, Who knows what people will say and spin and diminish the truth of the Mueller investigation I mean, all this is coming, and it's not, well, I'm not looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to its conclusion, but not going through the tumultuous period that we must go through. Now, and in mixed local news, the hospital district in the town I live in It's a hospital set up that, you know, it's a not-for-profit corporation that's for the good of people that really can't get to or pay for large private hospitals. So, but we're losing our CEO. He's in some business and the board is going to fire him. And you remember the board was extended and, you know, it's, it's sad to see that the fourth CEO, they pay these guys so much money and give them so many benefits. And then then they're gone and they try again. Weird. Now, my city is progressing well, and we have this future plan that brings fiber optic cable and uh, 5G towers and all these things to have us be on the cutting edge of modern 
And it, it's really great. So we have that. But there was some talk at the meeting as well. Somebody asked a question about why all the solar fields. And the vice mayor was at least candid enough and honest enough to tell the truth. You know, we can't build factories and homes because we can't get any water. So the next best thing is the income from the solar fields. And the world needs renewable energy. I think what we really need is the tree of liberty renewed and a bunch of critical thinking to break out and people to look out for each other's best interests, forgive what you can, change what you can, and learn that our future is together, one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. It doesn't mean it happens. It means that if we want to be one nation, we have to provide liberty and justice for all. And that means no more pulling the wool over our eyes. And the only way to guard against that is to think for yourself. Mm -hmm.